How often do you find that despite your best efforts, it feels like the world is still conspiring against you? Through Paul's incarcerations and persecutions, it seems he could have easily felt the same way. Hopefully, however, through our reservoirs of scriptural and personal experience, we will come to see that difficult circumstances are not a sign of God's disapproval, but rather opportunities to experience unprecedented growth and to bear witness of our Redeemer. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit may teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. Standing as a witness for me is standing up for what you believe and testifying of Jesus Christ. I think being a witness is somebody who is willing to give testimony of something. I have had many opportunities to be a witness of Jesus Christ. The one I can think of most is when I was able to serve as a missionary for the church in Venezuela. A time where I had to stand up for my beliefs was back in middle school and high school where people would like ask questions about my beliefs in a disrespectful way and I'd have to stand up for myself and say, no, like this is what I believe in and I'd appreciate it if you respect that. I will stand as a witness of Christ in all places, at all times, in all things appropriately, but I want everyone to know how deeply I feel about Christ and His goodness. Welcome everybody, my name is Ben Lomu and I'm your host. Our Gospel Scholar for today is Dr. Melissa Inouye. Melissa is a historian in the Church History Department for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. She's been involved with writing the Global Histories Project that can be found in the Gospel Library. Melissa, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. And our special guest today, seated next to Melissa, is Siona Havili. Siona is a former Division I football player and is now a husband, father, and business executive. He has some very similar experiences to Paul that we'll talk about later today. Sionis, so happy to have you here today. Thanks for having me, Ben. And we also want to welcome our studio audience. Thank you so much for being here today. And to our viewers at home, thank you for joining us. Throughout this discussion, we'll invite you to share your experiences with us on any of our social media platforms. For downloadable resources for study and teaching, visit byutv.org slash comefollowup. Today, we've selected two topics to discuss that relate to the passages found in Acts chapters 22 through 28. These topics and discussions support and build upon the Come Follow Me resources. The two topics we're going to discuss today are the Lord stands by those who strive to serve Him and sharing faith-promoting experiences strengthens myself and others. We'll expound on these topics and others and then take a deeper dive later on in the footnote segment of the show. Okay, so uh, for our first topic, Melissa, uh, we're going to be talking about the Lord stands by those who strive to serve Him. In regards to the specific context of these chapters, what can you tell us about what we're going to be studying today? Well, this section is basically the Apostle Paul's unfortunate encounter with the Roman criminal justice system, which is not um, a great experience for him. So by this point, Paul has made three super long missionary journeys around the Mediterranean. And at this point, he's now in Roman custody. And it kind of ends with him um, heading to Rome to, to make a appearance before the emperor. But um, he has like great positivity. His spirits are quite high. Thank you, Melissa, for that background. It, it really does help, you know, kind of set up uh, today's discussion uh, and having our special guest here. And there are so many things that uh, connect with Paul's story. There are some differences as well that I hope, hopefully you'll touch on. But Sean, I'm gonna give you some time to just 
talk about your story a little bit, some of the experiences you, you've been through and how that relates to these specific chapters in Acts and to Paul. Yeah, reading these verses, um, it resonates very strongly with me because of the things that Paul had to go through primarily from his transition from Saul to Paul. Uh, my personal life story, and I'll just give you guys a summarized version. Many years ago, I was involved in gangs. You know, I had two sets of friends, some that aspired to do good things and others that aspired to, you know, gangbang and put in work for the neighborhood. And so it was hard for me to figure out which ones that I wanted to gravitate towards to and keep both happy. At the end of graduating, I was a highly recruited football player and I decided, you know what, I wanted to put aside, um, you know, the friends that my parents always warned me about. And so I decided to go on a mission. I had signed a letter of intent to go to BYU and play football. Uh, but before I enrolled, uh, I had my sights set on going on a mission. So I'd received my call. Uh, I was headed to New York City. And uh, between the time that I received my mission call and when I had left, that was probably the most difficult time in my life with regards to temptation that I had received from the adversary. And for the most part, I stayed pretty strong. But one fateful night in October of 1998, I let my guard down. And uh, there was a drive-by shooting at one of my friend's house just around the corner. And to make a long story short, uh, I ended up getting in a van with five of my other friends and we retaliated and uh, we burned down our rival gang member's house. And the more and more I think about it, it wasn't a lapse. It was more of a, an impulse based on, on my cultural background. Okay. And I'll help you understand this. And, and it's hard for others to, to really understand. I'm the oldest of eight kids. Right, And there was this rival gang fight that had been going on for a very long time. And the only thing I could think about at that moment is me leaving and my seven brothers and sisters being home in what I considered an unprotected land. And so in just, in, in just an impulse, I decided to jump in the van because it was the only way that I felt like I could protect my, my family. And naturally, after the incident happened, I knew, you know, that I did something really, really bad. But I, I didn't know how to, you know, um, stick to the code of the street and stay on the pathway that I had worked so hard to stay on. I didn't have any ecclesiastical interviews, or I didn't. My bishop never asked me any questions, so I ended up going on my mission. I went to New York City, and I was out there for about 14 months, and it was a phenomenal experience. Uh, but after about 14 months, like anything, things are going to catch up to you. And I received a call from the local gang task force implicating me as a lead role within this retaliation. And I was extradited home, uh, left my mission and went straight to jail. And uh, my scholarship was gone. Uh, my opportunity to serve my mission was no longer afforded me. I was facing 15 years of life, and that was that was the beginning of my journey. Wow. Wow. I, I'm curious, as you're, as you're speaking... You know, like with Paul, despite some of the challenges that he's going through, there were people in there in this story that had his back. For example, if we go to Acts uh, chapter 27, there's a plot for all the prisoners to be killed. In verse 43, but the centurion willing to save Paul kept them from their purpose. Who were some of the centurions that, that really kept you moving in the right direction? So there were actually two when I was in when I was locked up. Um, essentially, when I first had been sentenced, and I, the first week I had walked in, there was a gentleman that walked up to me, and he happened to be the religious leader in the prison system here in Utah. They happened to be uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, so he was a branch president, and he had been following my story. And the first thing that he said to me was, "We'd been praying for you." 
And I said, that's interesting. What do you mean by that? And he says, well, as staff, we can't teach anything that's outside of the Bible, but as an inmate, you can teach anything that you want to. And so he was the first centurion. He actually believed in me, gave me an opportunity, despite the situation that I was in, to continue my missionary work. The second, while I was locked up, was a librarian. Really, the opportunity for me to get better while I was locked up was access to knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. And so once I came into that, the two centurions, the branch president, as well as the librarian, really provided me an opportunity to better myself in that situation. That's, I love that. I love hearing people just kind of seeing past some of those stigmas of you know being a prisoner and, and being willing to jump in and help you. How has the Lord stood by you during difficult times? Fritz. My father passed away, and we shared some very strong testimony-building experiences, he and I, and so it was a loss. And I remember going to the L.A. Temple and sitting in the celestial room and just wanting to be taught by him again. And Heavenly Father reached out and gave me some simple answers. I didn't hear a voice. I wrote them down, and they became just such a support through that time. And since then, I can go back and remember that in Heavenly Father's kindness, because you just don't appreciate the bandage until you have a wound, right? I, I love Fritz's experience, and, and it really just plays into how, regardless of the situation we're in, the Lord is constantly reaching out and trying to help and serve and lift. And so we had a question come in from one of our viewers, and I'd love to get your thoughts on how uh, we could help answer this question as it relates to, to your specific situation. Hello, my name is Taylor Killian. I live in Belmont, Massachusetts. I've been wondering how important the connection is between feeling charity toward others and being able to fulfill my personal ministry and witnessing of Jesus Christ. Okay, so you're in a prison and you're surrounded by, you know, those who have been convicted by, you know, for some serious crimes. How did feelings of charity for those all around you help you to continue to stand as a witness of Jesus Christ, even while incarcerated? Well, it goes back, I think, in Acts chapter 9, and this is in verse 15, where Jesus says to Saul that, uh, you know, he is a chosen vessel unto me. And it felt like a really good opportunity where I could empathize with people that are in similar situations that, that I was in. As I had mentioned earlier, you know, from the first day that I was in to the very last day or the first week to the last week, I had the opportunity to be able to, to, to teach and answer questions about the gospel. Fresh off, I was conditioned to go through and do morning study. The difference of in my environment when I was in New York City, I was studying and trying to go to battle, right, and try to proselyte. Now I was in the process of studying to not only answer questions for myself, but also answer questions for others because we all had questions, right? Right, And we were all going through situations. But the toughest thing when it comes to the gospel is that we all have answers to these questions, but until you are in a situation where you really have to answer these questions for yourself, you don't necessarily know what you're gonna do. I also, you know, this question about how does charity help us witness for Christ? Paul, when he was Saul, was the guy throwing people in jail. Mm -hmm. He was the guy like wrongfully accusing people and, and locking them up. You know, and, and maybe, maybe he ran into those people in prison. Right. Probably didn't go well for him. Um, so, so maybe they gave him some additional perspective. Maybe that helped him have a, the kind of positive mm -hmm. response that he did to know that 
you know, he himself maybe wasn't guilty of this sin, but he was guilty of these other sins. And mm. then also maybe it gave him charity for the administrators as well and the, the Jewish um, religious leaders who, who were so threatened by him because he could see himself in them. So maybe that helps us as well. Like when, when life isn't fair um, and when things are unjust, we don't have to ignore that, but we can also have charity for everyone as Christ did to the people who killed him. Okay, Siona, I'm going uh, to read you a scripture from Doctrine and Covenants. These are the words of Joseph Smith talking about Paul. And uh, I would just love to get your reaction on, on how you feel that this connects to you specifically um, during this difficult time you went through. This is in Doctrine and Covenants, section 127, verse 2. He says, I feel like Paul to glory in tribulation, for to this day has the God of my fathers delivered me out of them all and will deliver me from henceforth. For behold and lo, I shall triumph over all my enemies for the Lord God hath spoken it. How have you triumphed over some of those difficult situations as the Lord has stood by you the whole time? So one of the things that I think is extremely important and it goes back to you know empathizing with those that, that need charity. Right. I had my own experience, much like Joseph Smith or, uh, you know, Saul DePaul, where as I was studying and reading, um, you know, there was a passage in 2 Nephi where Lehi is giving counsel to his sons. He talks about in 2 Nephi chapter 2 that there needs be opposition in all things, right? The reason why I think Paul was such a great missionary, we talk about leaders, leaders for, for bad if they are you know, structured and guided the right way can be phenomenal leaders for good, right? And that's why I think through his own experiences, through tasting the bitter and now knowing what it truly tasted like to, to have the sweet, it allowed him to, to be able to testify as passionately as he did in a very difficult situation, you know, even though he was wrongfully accused and was threatened with death and he still would not defy his testimony. I look forward to hearing more about your story uh, in the next segment, but I just want to thank both of you and the audience for sharing uh, your experience with us uh, on our first topic. And for you at home, how has the Spirit validated your efforts to serve God? Share your experiences with us on Facebook and Instagram. There have been times where me sharing my experiences has reaffirmed my own testimony because when you have lived and been a part of the gospel for so long, you tend to forget or become used to it. But when you share it to somebody who hasn't heard your experiences, then you are reminding yourself of your experiences and that builds your testimony. When I share how I feel and an experience I've had that's touched me or taught me about the gospel or the, um, the Spirit and how the Spirit communicates with me, it just validates how that experience moved me and hopefully it can have an impact on someone else. In my lifetime, many people have come to me and we've been fr friends or acquaintances that have shared experiences that they're going through in their life right at that moment. And I've been able to have a similar experience. And when I sh have shared my testimony with them, it's been so great to have them come back to me later and say, that really changed my life. What Your story really helped me. And then that helps me to know that when I'm true and honest in what's going on in my life and what I've been through, it can bless others' lives. So the second topic we're gonna to discuss is sharing faith-promoting experiences strengthens myself and others. With Paul, when he shares his story, he recounts some of his old ways. Do you mind kind of uh, walking us through how he acted, some of the things he, he has done, 
And then I'd love to hear your thoughts, Yona, on you know, how you overcame that fear to share some of the things that you did that put you in that situation. Well, I'll just let Paul say it in his own words. In Acts 22, verse 4, um, here I'm reading my study Bible. It says, I persecuted this way up to the point of death by binding both men and women and putting them in prison. From them, I also received letters to the brothers in Damascus, and I went there in order to bind those who were there and to bring them back to Jerusalem for punishment. So he was doing to other people exactly what's been done to him, falsely accusing people of, you know, trumping up charges against them, he says, up to the point of death. So I assume that means, you know, trying to wipe out the church, bring about the death of the church. But it could also, you know, in those days, like being in prison was no picnic either. Um, it could also mean being responsible for people's deaths as they're beaten, as they're tortured and so on. So how do you overcome that? How do you overcome uh, sharing some of the parts of your story that maybe, like you said, a little embarrassing or that you are ashamed of? You know, it's interesting. I was very hesitant to share my story early on, uh, primarily because it was something that my, my actions were something that I was really ashamed about. Okay. Um, but as I'd gone through just this entire redemption process, um, going through the, the situations that I had, it was very difficult for me to find work. I had an opportunity to interview with a big tech company. And at that point, uh, there was an entry-level sales role. And come to find out, it, that role wasn't a secret. So there were hundreds of others. And when I went into this, there was a panel of executives and I could tell by the line of questioning, they were trying to filter people out. And so I had an epiphany, which I had never done before. My wife and I, you know, prayed to give us some insight on, on how I should approach this. And I said, if there's something, if you're looking for something wrong in candidates, you're going to find more wrong in me than anyone else. And so I couldn't believe I said it right? The reaction on their faces were, you know, priceless as I'm sure mine was as well. And the, the lead executive said, well, what, what quite possibly could we find in, in you that we haven't seen in anyone else? And I said, I'm a first degree felon. And, and apparently none of the other candidates had that, you know, that same, that, that same thing on their resume. You're such and a so one upper, man. To, yeah. <laughs> I went on to tell my story. First degree. First. first degree felony. Yeah. So then I ended up going on and telling my story for about 30 to 45 minutes. And they immediately went up to executive leadership in San Jose and got approval to hire me. That's when I realized I can actually use my experiences for good and share it in a way where I can be a positive light to those around me. You know, I love how, as you talk about sharing your stories, there is power that comes in, in sharing our stories with others. You, you've mentioned about speaking at you know, youth firesides. And I really believe that there is a powerful impact when the younger generation can hear of the stories that we tell and learn and grow from them. Uh, we have a great quote from Susan Warner uh, talking about that. She says, when we share our feelings with our little ones and bear record of him, we open the door for them to share their experiences and to give words to their own spiritual insights and feelings. And when we help children identify the divine source of those feelings, their understanding and love for the Savior will grow line upon line, precept upon precept. I really like this quote because, um, you know, I think we can extrapolate a little more generally when we're, you know, how, how can we share with people that we're trying to teach the gospel, right? It doesn't have to just be children. And um, to, to take the negative reading of that, um, when we share not only the faith-promoting experiences, but when we share examples of when we have done wrong, when we made mistakes and had to rely on Jesus, 
I mean, that's when we need Jesus most of all, right? We don't want to teach the kids that the gospel is just about never making a mistake, right? Because no one can ever do that. We're always going to make mistakes. And so for me as a parent, when we repent, we show our children that process of repentance. Um, then I think it's even more powerful because then they're not, you know, they're like, yeah, mom is, you know, she has a horrible temper. And that's why we need Jesus, you know? And... Um, but but I think, you know, it says in Alma, verse 7, uh, chapter 7, verse 11, that Jesus shall go forth suffering pains and afflictions and temptations of every kind. And this, that the word might be fulfilled, which saith he will take upon him the pains and the sicknesses of his people. And he will take upon him death, that he may loose the bands of death, which will bind his people. And he will take upon him their infirmities, that his bowels may be filled with mercy, that he may know according to the flesh how to succor his people according to their infirmities. And one thing I think that we gain when we, when we make mistakes and we find ourselves in, in places, in holes we have to dig ourselves out of, is that when someone else is in that hole, we can help them dig out. So how has sharing your story, Siona, strengthened your testimony? I like what Susan L. Warner says about bearing witness, right? It gives me an opportunity to be able to not only talk about the things that have happened in the past, how far I've come, but why. And throughout the entire time, I never felt alone. I always knew that the Lord was there with me. And it's, and it's great when we do these things because, you know, the, the other thing that I've taken away from that is that my children are able to see me bear witness. And they get tired of my story, but my testimony changes in, in, in terms of the wording or the things that I feel prompted to share based on the audience. And so it's just been, it's been phenomenal. Well, I'd love to hear from the audience as we're talking about faith-promoting stories. How have you been strengthened by somebody else sharing their experience? Tammy. Well, what I have found is that's been interesting is people will come to me and share a, an experience they've had that may have been difficult or, or faith-promoting either way, but somehow it ties into something I've experienced. So I hear their story and what it allows me to do, because I believe we go through the experiences that we've gone through in life, just like you said, so we do share our experience with others. So they'll come to me and share something that I've felt in my life, and I'm able to say, I've experienced something similar to mm -hmm. that. And then we have a discussion, and I feel like at that point, we're able to lift each other because their take on what happened to them and mine are different, but we put those together, and then we talk about, well, how how did God come into that, and and what was our, each of our experiences with that? So I think we gain experience throughout our life to share with others who are going to come into our path who have experienced something similar that we can be able to relate to, and then it opens them up to be able to be who they are and know that they shouldn't be ashamed of the things that happen because they see somebody else, oh, that person went through that too, and they made it, and they're doing well, so it's okay. Thank you for sharing that. So now you've talked a lot about how you have shared your story, and, and I'm sure it's had a, a wide impact on so many people. Is there a story that has done that for you? So I recently had an experience uh, about two years ago um, where, and I think you, some of you guys probably don't know this, but there was a documentary that was presented on my life story recently. Mm -hmm. And as we were getting to the tail end, um, I had a very difficult time actually opening up, wrapping that up because I hadn't actually had a chance to sit down with the family, uh, the victims of, of, 
you know, the situation of the crime that I had committed. In the Tongan culture, there's a hierarchy called the Fahu system where mm -hmm. the oldest, you know, sister in the family, they really hold all the power. Uh, and so essentially, We'll kind of go, I'll keep this high level. But when I ended up coming home, my grandmother ended up going and meeting with their fahu or the oldest woman in their mm -hmm. family. And they said, you tell your nephews, you tell your sons that you guys, you know, stop what you're doing and we'll do the same. And it was interesting that a gang, gang war that had been going on for a very long time was put to bed. But I personally did not have a chance to sit down. And so I actually had a chance to go and meet with the family. And one of the most interesting things is they welcomed me into their home. And we sat down and there's this misconception that repentance is something to be avoided, something that is unbearable. But that night when my family, my, my parents, my wife and kids had a chance to sit down with the other family, I learned what it truly meant to be a disciple of Christ from them. Uh, the mother of the family was very accepting. Uh, she ended up taking our apology, but not only that, and just saying, you know what, you know, that's okay. We all make mistakes, but that's what we come here to earth uh, to be able to learn. And that really allowed me to understand, you know, I could not fully forgive myself until I was fully forgiven. And, and I learned that from them. I mean, something that is so precious as your home and you have someone that has done a, a major mm -hmm. offense and they were so open to allowing me coming in. And not only that, in the Tongan culture, exchange of gifts. I did not leave empty handed. You know, right. they provided me with things that they had recently brought home from Hawaii and so on and so forth. And so that was a wonderful lesson that I had learned. Fast forward, they ended up moving into my ward. <laughs> and uh, I ended up having to, to having the opportunity to be, uh, you know, one of their bishopric members. And so just coming full circle. My grandma met with the mom and, you know, all things were made well. That was accepted culturally, but for my own personal closure. And, and I think, you know, for the full circle of the repentance, I had to have that experience myself. And it was just a phenomenal, phenomenal experience to go through that with them. And now we're, we're in great contact, you know, and uh, their, their kids or grandkids are in our ward and, you know, we take them to youth activities and, you know, and work with them. And so it's been a great experience. Melissa, what final thoughts do you have on our second topic? Well, I'm just thinking about the capacity that that making mistakes gives us and going through repentance. You know, we don't, like just as that scripture in Alma chapter 7 says, the reason why Jesus was able to help us was because Jesus shared our infirmities. He became deeply acquainted with these mistakes that we made and the, the problems that we cause. And, and so sometimes I think in the church we're so— worried about, you know, keeping the commandments and doing, we have this kind of perfection mindset where we don't want to mess up even once. We don't want to make any little mistake. But when you look at like really great teachers like Paul, like Alma, uh, the son of Alma, people whose personal experiences give them the power to minister to a lot of different people. We, we don't want to become, we don't want to like be so insulated from difficult things that we're never able to relate to people who are going through hard mm -hmm. things who, or who have made mistakes. Right? Like how, how useless would we be if we never made mistakes and we always ticked all the boxes and we never did anything wrong? Then we, we, wouldn't have, we wouldn't know anything about repentance. We wouldn't know anything about what Jesus actually has to offer. So, so I guess I really value people being able to make mistakes and share what they've learned or people being able to encounter huge problems and fall into really deep holes. Um, and be able to share what it's like to be in that deep hole. 
because you know that's what has real value for us in a, in a life that's just hard. And that's how we learn and grow from those experiences. President Camille Johnson has a wonderful quote about that. She says, trials are the elements of the plot that make our favorite stories compelling, timeless, faith-promoting, and worthy of telling. The beautiful struggles written into our stories are what draw us closer to the Savior and refine us, making us more like Him. Thank you both for sharing your thoughts and, and of course your insight. We look forward to continuing discussion with you in our footnotes portion. For those at home, there's still plenty more to explore together with Melissa and Siona, so please stick around. The Spirit communicates with me through others. Like when someone does something kind, I also want to do something kind. I know the Spirit is speaking to me when I have a perfect idea. An idea that I know is right on the money what this person needs to hear or what I need to do right now. The Spirit is there if I listen. I learned so much from the show today and the Spirit really guided me through the whole thing. And the biggest lesson that I learned, the one that stood out to me the most, was learning that faith isn't the absence of hard experiences, rather taking those hard experiences and building your faith on it. So continuing to study and pray and have faith is what is going to get you through those hard times. Today on Come Follow Up, we just experienced Melissa and CNA. Um, it was incredible just to hear their experiences, just the witness, the Holy Ghost, just um, communicating back and forth to all of us. It was just exciting. I think anytime anyone becomes that vulnerable and tells you even the good and bad about their life, you just, it opens you up to a place where you both can feel the Spirit. And that's just what happened in Come Follow Up. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've dismissed our studio audience and are looking forward to building upon our previous discussions about serving God and sharing our faith-promoting experiences. Let's jump in. Melissa, Sione. All right. I, I feel like some of this conversation that we've been having is kind of like, look at all these bad things that have happened to Paul and your story. You know, uh, there are some tragic things that have taken place, but there's a pattern here that I noticed with Paul. And as you share your story as well, how Paul is constantly, he's super positive. So for example, in uh, chapter 23, uh, Paul talks about how despite his past, he has lived in all good conscience before God. Verse 11, be of good cheer. And he repeats this several times throughout sharing his experience. And so I kind of want to start out this discussion uh, talking about, despite all the, the difficulties and some of the challenges and roadblocks along the way, how have you been able to find the happiness and joy along the way? Just knowing that there's um, a prize at the end of the race, right? And luckily for me, we had family communing. We read scriptures. It's a lot like football training, mm -hmm. right? Uh, one thing that I learned from one of my football coaches, you either get stronger, you get weaker, you never stay the same. And a lot of that is because it prepares you to go into battle. And so, um, you know, having those things in place, really just like he had said in verse 11, be of good cheer. He realized that despite his challenges, the Lord never left him. Right, mm -hmm. he was always there for him, and that that allowed him to keep a positive light despite all of the trials and tribulations that he was going through. Melissa, what thoughts do you have on Paul's ability to keep that positive attitude, that perspective amidst some of his trials and reflection on some of the things that he used to do? 
Well, I think you have astutely pointed out like times where Paul is super positive. Mm-hmm. He could have had downs too, right? But the the ups come up. But I think one way where we um, where we really see this kind of persistent resilience in Paul is in the story about the shipwreck. Okay. In chapter twenty-seven, I'm reading the this is the David Bentley, the David Bentley Hart translation of the New Testament. Um, and I like it just because it's in plain English and it's easier for me to understand. So, for example, they're sailing several days. This is chapter 27, verse 10. Paul says, Men, I see that the voyage will soon be accompanied by violence and great loss, not only for the cargo and ship, but for our souls. So he's trying to kind of share some helpful information. They totally ignore him. Um, it says, not much later, a turbulent wind called the nor'easter beat down, and the ship being taken hold of and unable to run in the face of wind gave way, and we were carried along. Different things happened. They are violently storm-wracked. The next day, they jettisoned freight. On the third day, they threw the ship's gear overboard with their own hands. So this is like truly desperate. Like the stuff they need to sail, mm-hmm. they've like chucked it overboard. Wow. Um, then there's, a, they can't see the stars. They, they don't know where they are. Um, all hope they might be saved was taken away, verse 21. And then when they had abstained from food for a long while, Paul stood up among them and said, Oh men, you should have heeded me and not sailed the Crete and not come to this disaster and deprivation. Okay, I guess he couldn't resist. Is that kind of a told you so moment? He couldn't resist and I told you so. Um, But maybe he's trying to like get them to listen to him for the next thing, right? Okay. He says, And now I exhort you to be in good spirits, for the ship will be lost, but not one soul. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not fear, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and see... God has given you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it shall be just as was told me. But we shall need to run aground on some island. Okay, so um, so Paul is trying to kind of buck everyone's spirits up. And they're, they're like despairing. They're like, ah, you're going to die. And he's like, no, you're going to be okay. We're going to lose the ship. But like all of us, like, we'll, 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 like, we'll be okay. He's asking everyone in verse 34 to take some food. This is the beginning of your rescue, for no hair on the head of any of you shall perish. They all ate the food, and then they um, chucked it over, the rest of it overboard, again, to, to lighten the ship. So Paul is, like, helping them solve all these different problems, right? And he's also helping them find firewood. So I guess I just see what keeps Paul going is his kind of commitment to help other people around him, hmm. right? It's like a crummy situation, but he's not, like, sitting there and, like, sulking. Yeah. You know, he's, like— engaged, he's involved, he's trying to counsel people, even when they don't listen to him, he's still trying to like make them not feel terrible. And and I think you can see that kind of, that's how his resilience is also expressed, not just by saying like, I feel cheerful, because I bet there are times when he didn't feel cheerful, but like in his actions, I think it's like a really compelling suggestion of that energy to try to help the people who are in his vicinity. You know, we see a lot of elements of Christ in this and how Christ lived his life whatever situation was in, always trying to lift the burdens of others. And, and I see, you know, within, you know, some of the things you shared with us, Yona, about your story and just always looking out, trying to, trying to stay positive. Uh, so would you mind just kind of tell us um, some other elements of your story that you've been able to, to connect with Christ, uh, trying to emulate his life in, in bringing others along the way um, when they may be in dark times as well. I, I like what you said about the shipwreck and uh, primarily because it, the reason why I think Paul 
it's it's about perspective, mm -hmm. right? While people were sitting there upset about the shipwreck, at the end of the day, we were all still alive. And, you know, bringing people along, I mean, there's just, so I, I've recently had a situation where I have people that have gone through similar situations and they're finding struggles. And so reaching out to me and being able to use the network that I've been able to establish to help them find work. But what I've realized is the ancillary benefit is they ask me what drives me, what are the things that motivate me to stay positive? And naturally it comes down to my faith in the gospel. Mm. And then it's opened up opportunities for them to learn more about, you know, the things that, that drive Paul, that drive, you know, someone like me to, to do the things that I do despite people being upset about the ship being wrecked when in reality, we have food, we have our lives, we have so many other things to be grateful about. Paul's story is not unique as far as going from one lifestyle to another. Are there some specific examples um, that we can learn from the scriptures about this change? And why is it important that we see that someone ha who has lived such a, a lifestyle, what do we learn from that, how they can become something better? That reminds me of the work done by Kylie Nielsen Turley on the Book of Mormon. She wrote a book um, in the series called Book of Mormon Brief Theological Introductions. And she wrote her book on the first part of Alma. Okay. And she has this amazing insight about Alma, the younger. And I put this in air quotes because nowhere in the, she looked through the whole Book of Mormon. Nowhere in the Book of Mormon did, is this phrase Alma the younger used. And we use it all the time. Right. Wow. <laughs> okay. So, so she said, so because we've, you know, we, you know, Alma was the son of Alma and we mm -hmm. got to like distinguish between Alma one and Alma two. So, so instead of Alma, the father, Alma, the son, or Alma, the old guy, uh, Alma, the less old guy, like we say, Alma, Alma the younger, <laughs> right? But I think, um, she says that when, when we say Alma, we refer to him as Alma, the younger, that makes us kind of think about him as someone who, um, made some mistakes when he was a teenager or like a kind of young, hot-headed mm -hmm. young man. But she says, when you look at the actual text, it becomes pretty clear that he wasn't a young man when he was doing all these horrible things, destroying the church, trying to get people to, to, lead, to lose their faith. He was actually um, you know, probably in his 30s, 40s, maybe even 50s by the time this happened. So, so think about like, think about someone you really dislike who is like, already an adult, like, you know, from 30s and, and older, something you really dislike. So will this person ever change? In my opinion, no. <laughs> <laughs> do. Right? <laughs> so, but that's what, that, she says, that's what happened to Alma. He was a full-blown, mature, wow. knew what he was doing, bad guy. And, and, then, and then he changed. Well, and a lot of times because a lot of mistakes that we make are youthful or based on immaturity. And you have someone like this that was able to turn the tide after his ways were pretty set. Right. Had been an actual, yeah, like really. It's a habit. Really, it's a process. Many mm -hmm. evil choices based on knowing everything that hurt people based on yeah. full knowledge of how it was hurting people. That's like really hard. But so, so anyway, all, all of this is to say that um, I, I just think it's uh, like that, again, Again, that's why, you know, but he becomes the most, one of the most powerful teachers ever. Absolutely. Because of that experience. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I, you know, it just makes me think, um, you know, when I think about like who should be like a general authority mm -hmm. or like who should be like, you know, who, who's like a prophet, you know, in our day, like prophets 
can be people who have like made huge mistakes mm -hmm. and um, yeah, and, and applied the gospel in their lives because that's what it means to apply the gospel. Yeah. Do you think that, uh, Siona, that sometimes people are more willing to listen to you because they can connect with your past? People that have been in similar situations, mm -hmm. it's interesting enough um, when I end up trying to make my way back, some of my biggest critics aside from myself were other Latter-day Saints. Mm. And, and I think some of it was, it was maybe uh, a bit of an anomaly to have someone that made a mistake as grievous as I had to be able to make their way back, take take advantage of the atonement. And so, you know, it's been, uh, it's been a, a huge learning process, but I think we all can learn from each other uh, and definitely, you know, un understand that regardless, whatever mistakes that we make, when I ended up coming home early from my mission and going straight to jail, like my parents had did everything they possibly could, but at the end of the day, you know, we've realized that regardless of whatever mistakes that we can make, the atonement can allow us to come back from that. And it's helped me become a better parent uh, and friend. So do you, is there a specific um, story that you connect with in scriptures or maybe even a character such as Paul that has kind of helped you learn from and maybe even shape some aspects of your life on overcoming uh, to become something better? So I had my own James 1-5 moment okay. when I was locked up and it was in 2nd Nephi. So um, Lehi's on his deathbed and his sons, we know some are righteous, some are evil, right? Mm -hmm. And they were asking him for some of his last pearls of wisdom. And this was really the turning point for me because I was really struggling, you know, can I make it back? Are there things that I can do and overcome? And in 2nd Nephi chapter two, verses 14 through uh, 16, he goes on and he says, and now my sons, I speak to you these things for your profit and learning, for there is a God and he hath created all things, both in heaven and in the earth and all things that in them are, both things to act and things to be acted upon, to bring about his eternal purposes to the end of man after he had created our first parents and the beasts of the field and the fowls in the air, and in fine, all things that in them are. It must needs be that there is an opposition even the forbidden fruit to the tree of life, the one being sweeter, the other bitter. For me, um, I just could not believe that this was just like my road to Damascus moment, mm. right? That it was okay for me to make mistakes, but I needed to be able to learn from those. And then in verse 25, he goes on to say that Adam fell that men might be and men are that might, men might have joy. So thinking about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, living perfect, but not knowing that they were happy until they partook, took the fruit was something that really brought in riches in my life because it's okay to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. It's what we do with those mistakes to define who we are as, as people. That's a great thought. So um, Melissa, earlier you were talking about how with Alma Younger, how he became an amazing teacher. Alma the Younger, <laughs> Alma Junior, <laughs> Alma Leka. <laughs> so um, we, we kind of see the same thing, similar thing here with, uh, with Paul. Because we have this really uh, well-known teaching moment that he has uh, as he's brought before uh, King Agrippa. Do you mind kind of taking us through some of this experience with King Agrippa? So this is interesting, right? Because um, in the first place in chapter 26, verse 1, it says, Agrippa said to Paul, you may speak on your own behalf which is a kind of basic courtesy that sometimes we don't even extend to people we're accusing, okay. right? So you can already see that Agrippa is, um, just has some openness. 
Um, Agrippa is also Jewish, so he understands these things. You can see this in verse 3. He says, especially, and again, I'm writing, reading from the David Bentley Hart translation, especially as you are an expert regarding all of the customs and the controversies particular to the Judeans, hence I beseech you magnanimously to listen to me. And then he tells his story. Verse 22, thus having up to this day received aid from God, I stand bearing witness to small and great alike, saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said to be about to happen, that the anointed would suffer, and that he, as the first in the resurrection of the dead, is about to proclaim a light to the people and to the Gentiles alike. So here he's appealing to this common scriptural base that they share. In the Old Testament scriptures, there is this discourse about the anointed one, okay. right? Um, sometimes, you know, it could mean like kings, like, you know, King David, uh, or it could mean like the Messiah. We've read before in the Gospels, you know, people ask Jesus, just like, tell us, are you, are you the anointed one who's going to save us? Right? Like, so there was this talk in the contemporary discourse about whether he was this anointed one. But here, um, Paul is trying to kind of make sure that he's not saying, I'm a political rabble rouser. He's okay. saying, King Agrippa, you're, you're Jewish. You have this um, connection to the scriptures. And so you know, I'm, you know, the scriptures talk about, Moses talks about um, this anointed one who would suffer. And, and, I, and I think it's you know, this person that I, that I follow. Um, and it says, as, as he was offering these apologies, Festus says in a loud voice, you are raving, Paul. So much learning is driving you mad. And he responds really calmly. So, so the whole thing, not only is the kind of theological um, project, he's also kind of showing his demeanor and his character, mm -hmm. which I think is what makes this positive impression. He says, Your Excellency Festus, I am not raving, but speaking words of truth and sense. For the king understands all about these things, and I speak before him with confidence, because I have convinced none of this escapes his notice, for it has not been done in a corner. So he's complimenting King Agrippa. Um, and he says, uh, Do you believe the prophets, King Agrippa? I know that you believe. And that's where you have this famous line in um, verse 28. Do you have it in front of you yep. in the King James Version? Right. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. In this <laughs> translation, it says, Agrippa to Paul, you persuade me in that a little while you will make me a Christian. So, um, so it, it becomes clear that Paul has made a positive impression, not only because of his knowledge of the scriptures and, and saying, you know, I'm not trying to be wacko. I'm not trying to start a rebellion. I'm just trying to... Um, I'm just, I just have hope in what the scriptures actually say. And then in his demeanor and being able to kind of handle with equanimity the people who said, you're crazy. He's mm -hmm. like, no, I'm not crazy. And just that example, just his demeanor and his character comes through. And I think that's really persuasive to Agrippa. You know, I imagine as you were telling us when you first applied uh, for your first job, I imagine that kind of your, your character, your demeanor kind of uh, came out uh, in front of that panel as you were open and sharing your experience. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that and kind of uh, what that process was like and what brought you to, to feel like you could share your story so openly with a group of strangers that you were really hoping would give you a job? Yeah, well, much like Paul, I just realized I had to share who I really was, Okay. right? I didn't want them to figure out, you know, um, after the fact, once they decided to give me an offer, I wanted them to give me a job based on the merit of who I really was and, you know, where I came from. And so that was, you know, I had that epiphany. I decided to share that. And honestly, it was it, it was a pivot in an interview that I'm still seeing positive effect from today mm -hmm. and everything that I'm doing. 
Um, do I recommend people do it? I mean, for, <laughs> not all the time. I guess you just have to do it in a way where people are able to see who you are as a, in character. And that's what I really loved about this. As Paul's talking to Agrippa, you know, he's explaining himself. But the one thing, and and I highlighted in 19 was he continued to bear testimony. He's like, mm-hmm. okay, this is great, but I saw, like, I had a vision. Like these are these are my experiences. And so he never shied away from you know the experiences or his testimony, despite you know that. And that's where I think his character came across and that's why Agrippa was so, hey, you're getting me, I'm almost there. I'm starting to believe, right. but, you know. Well, one element of, of these stories uh, that I think is important to, to discuss is kind of how we view others. So how do we reconcile with looking at these stories and making those determinations on what is good and what is evil when we're all on the same path trying to you know, draw closer to Christ? So I had a unique experience that I think uh, resonates here for me um, when I realized that I was on the right path. Um, My wife and I were teaching a Sunday school class in Lubbock, Texas, of all places. I was going to school at Texas Tech University. And uh, we felt like we were far removed, making a lot of progress in our personal and our spiritual lives. And after the class, a lady ended up coming up to us and she said, hey, I Googled your name. And there was a period in my life where that was like the worst phrase that I could ever hear. Right. (laughs) And I said, okay, interesting. This was after class. My wife and I looked at her and I said, well, what did you find? And she said, well, we found this kid from Salt Lake City and uh, complete thug uh, and did some pretty bad things. Do you know him? And my wife and I paused for a little bit and we realized we must be doing something really, really good to be on a pathway where people, obviously evidence is there, right? Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't be able to connect the dots on on these two different pieces. And so, you know, those are situations where, you know, continually growing, continue, you know, having an opportunity, but, you know, others sometimes find a struggle and and connect the dots, but because of the way that we conduct ourselves, you know, it's easy for them to to see us as as who, who we can become rather than who we pursue or perceive to be. With your story, it started out with a very violent act. And we have seen how, in the scriptures, we see that a lot where there's a change that comes about where now as Paul, as Alma, uh, the son of Alma uh, taught us, there is a better way uh, to do this. So how have you seen in your own life and how have you helped others transition away from immediately reacting physically violently to more of a Christ-centered way? Well, 2020 hindsight, if I was in the same situation, I would have not acted the, the same way. Um, you know, I think it was just heat of the moment. You know, as we talk about, you know, Alma making that conversion at a very old age, I, you know, I, I was very young and very immature. Um, it's still an action that I regret every single day. And so essentially just teaching my kids to be able to, you know, combat, you know, that with the way the example that the Lord teaches us, patience, meekness, love, um, you know, are the things that, you know, we need to do. And, and, and I know that had I acted in that way, um, my life would have turned out a lot differently, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think the Lord would have allowed justice to take its course its own way. Um, and so those are things that, you know, I've been able to, you know, not only pass on to those around me, but also to my children to make sure that, you know, those are lessons where if you get caught in the heat of the moment, there's no need to act in, in, a, in a violent manner any longer. You know, we need to turn the other cheek. I, I, I see that change now. I mean, people cut me off 20 years ago. I would have pulled over <laughs> until, you know, I ended up resolving that matter. And now it's easy to just brush, brush off and uh, act with love. Well, 
Maybe you can help me with that one. I'm, I'm still trying to, <laughs> I'm still trying to, you know, uh, keep that Christ-like perspective when somebody cuts me off on the road. <laughs> so one thing I love about Paul and um, is like as we've talked about before is his devotion to Christ. How important is it that we make our lives centered on Jesus Christ? It's sometimes it's easier to kind of emulate people in the scriptures and scripture stories and like I'm going to be just like that person. Mm -hmm. Because Christ is hard to emulate. Yeah. He did stuff that's totally counterintuitive. He told us to do things that are totally against our nature. Love your enemies, pray for the people who hate you and are mean to you. You know. But um, I think when we kind of courageously look and see what he called us to do, then even if like as we honestly, I, I don't know. I, I think I'm thinking about some of my like enemies and I don't love them. But um, but at least it can like make us stop and be like, you know, I'm I'm not like coming up to that standard yet, and and I think a thought that's come to me recently is um this idea like beggars can't be choosers, like for me, um, mm. people who need God so much can't just like choose which of God's children they like or, or, or will interact with or will be like treat as an actual human being, actual child of God. Like, beggars can't be choosers. Um, and, and maybe that's what Christ can do for us too. Like when we think about Christ, we realize how inadequate we are. Mm -hmm. and <laughs> Shannon, what keeps you going, man? Like you, the, the motivation you have, the drive to, to, to pursue your, your life goals, but to continue to tell your story and, and lift others. What's the motivation behind, you know, uh, your pursuit of, of helping and serving and lifting others? The constant fear of having to be humbled. Um, you know, we talk about Alma. Um, it reminds me of a scripture in Alma 32, um, verse 16, where Alma says, Therefore, blessed are they who humble themselves without being compelled to be humble. Um, and we see it cyclically in, in the scriptures, right? People become prideful, mm -hmm. then they become humble. In every facet of my life, things seem to be going well. And when I think life is perfect, and I don't know if it's pride, um, but then the Lord figures out a way to humble myself. You know, now to this day, I try to make sure that I stay in the good graces of God <laughs> and stay very meek. Uh, otherwise, you know, I'm gonna get stricken down. And so <laughs> those are the things that really honestly keep me grounded. Um, and then in doing so, just figuring out ways to help others around me become better. Um, and it's really been a recipe for success. And it's been a blessing for me, not only in my career, uh, but in my personal life. Well, it's been a blessing sitting here with you and learning of your story. And, and Melissa, as always, thank you so much. It's been a wonderful conversation, one that hopefully will reach and touch uh, those that are watching. And thank you for joining us at home for this discussion from Acts chapters 22 through 28. I encourage you to record and act upon any impressions that you've received. Please join us next week as we discuss selections from Romans chapters one through six. Thanks for watching. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.